You're listening to Underestimated. Real stories from real women. Discussing how they've overcome everyday hurdles and rose above. We will not be underestimated. Today, I'm so excited to be talking to Sam and John Turnbull. Uh, John is my cousin who is a captain of a special ops team and is a survivor of a bombing in Syria. I am really excited to talk to Sam about one, what it's like to be a wife and a mother to a father that's deployed all the time, manning down the house at home, but also having to go through that crazy experience and overcome those challenges. Really excited. Sam is definitely a perfect wife and a mother and a woman that can overcome literally anything. Sam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, well, I met John, I think it was 2001. We met a long time ago. I was 12 years old, 11 turning 12. John was a little bit older than me. He worked as a lifeguard at a camp that I did not want to go to. and Not creepy older, by the way. <laughs> I lived with my grandparents at the time, and my grandma basically just said, hey, if you're going to be living under my roof, you're going to this camp with me. And I was like, don't want to go. My dad was a pastor at the time. I said, you know what? My dad preaches to me enough. I don't, I don't want to go to a church camp. And I went. I was dragged there. And when I went, I... I got out of the car and I instantly, I ran into John and thought, hmm, that guy, that guy's kind of cute. Maybe I'll see him around. I don't know, but. I was um, much cuter back then. Braces and all. Anyway, we hung out for the week and got to know each other. And I, I was extremely young, but my grandma at the time said, she'd saw me one day and she's like, Sam, you better don't say goodbye to this man, this boy, because you're going to marry him one day. And I was Grandma, I'm so young. I'm I'm probably never going to see him again. Crazy um, old lady, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> fast forward. She's right. We didn't see each other for about three years. And ran, he ended up coming to church again where we saw each other. And John, he said, hey, Sam, you're, you're a lot older now. Would you mind coming out to lunch with me and my family? And so I went and... The rest is history. <laughs> so about 15 years old when we started kind of dating. We weren't allowed to date date. And so we um he also went off to West Point at the time. And I mean, we were really young, and a lot of people at the time said, John, let Sam be Sam. Let her do her own thing. Don't hold her back. Let her be herself. Let her get through high school and all that stuff. And just don't don't be together basically. And so we didn't like that. And we just said, whatever, that's their opinion. <laughs> and we, we stuck it out all through West Point and. And West Point's big. Um, I mean, not only because it is the premier military academy in the United States. Also, like when you look at it, it the tradition is, I mean, when you go to West Point, it's, I mean, very difficult to get in. You have to have a, a congressman or senator's approval nomination you go and you start off, I mean, very, very early on, like right out of high school, you go, you do like a quick six-week basic training, and then you start school, academics. Over the four years, you get opportunities to go home 
very infrequently. I believe my first year I went home for Christmas and then I had like a week or two during the summer to visit with Samantha. My second year, same thing like Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving, maybe a few days here and there. But literally for the entire four years of uh, time at the academy, there's we went old school and it became like penmanship, writing back and forth letters until I still have that, all of them. that we were able to call each other and talk. And then heaven forbid, we all we all got computers at one point and then we started emailing. So it was, but it was a great opportunity for us to kind of learn to communicate. Yeah, learn to communicate and then also kind of see what our relationship is, um, you know, without seeing each other every single day, day in, day out. I mean, I proposed after two years uh, of, hey, you know, like just communicating via um, penmanship, um, old school mail. And, but it showed just, what, what kind of a quality woman that Samantha was back then when she was going through college herself and it was, she was always there. Uh, but it was, it was a great opportunity for us just to kind of be like, well, you know, I mean, if we can make it through some crappy situations, like not seeing each other, uh, then we can make it through just about anything. So we got married immediately after West Point. I think I graduated the 20th of May and the 5th of June, we were hitched following that. You know, we didn't have the, you know, great honeymoon. Then, you know, you get you start your life together, move in together, and things are great. Uh, I left almost a immediately week, after. About a week after we were married. Yeah, went down to Fort Went Bain. down and started training. Um, Sam, is there a particular letter that you remember that just stuck with you? We both know how inappropriate, inappropriately hilarious John can be. <laughs> but also um, I do very- remember... One time he did write me a letter and he actually printed off a picture of himself and he had his BCG glasses is what they were called. And they're big old brown glasses. And he said, BCG glasses, also known as birth control glasses. And I thought that was the funniest thing. And I was just like, man, those don't make him look that attractive, but I still love the guy. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're pretty ridiculous. I mean, just huge, thick, nasty glasses. Maybe I had a strap that went around the back of his mm-hmm. head. <laughs> Make you look, look something just straight out like Gilmer Pyle or Forrest Gump. But talking about them, you you've spoken with her, Lily Wilker. Those are the glasses that she wears. That nerd. <laughs> so so I mean, you can piece things together. Yeah. Um, what was that like getting married? And then John's like, "Bye again." Hi. Bye. Those things. <laughs> They always tell you when, of course, all through West Point, I mean, there's, um, we're considered a 2% club, which I said we're actually a 1% club because we dated before we started going to West Point and he went to the prep school. So I was like, technically we're like a 1%. 2% of the couples who start out at West Point Point make it all the way through. And when you make it all the way through, you're considered a 2%er. And of course, you create friendships with the other girlfriends. And of course, then Facebook started to come out. So there's Facebook groups that we got on and they would all text each other and, oh, hey, you know, this is what we're getting into. We have to be prepared for this. And where's your fiance going to go right after West Point? Where are you guys getting stationed at? And it's a little overwhelming because, of course, at the time I was in college and I just thought, well, what do I pick? What career do I pick? And 
college that I can take with me wherever I go. And so I went to a university in Michigan and I was like, man, I can't, I don't really know what I would do besides teaching. But even then that's not something that you can continually do because you're constantly moving. So I ended up dropping out of the university and John, I just remember one time John told me, he was like, Sam, you don't have to worry about college. I, I'm going to take care of you no matter what. And we may struggle a little bit, but we'll get it figured out. And we'll I, ended up, <laughs> I ended up picking dental assisting just to, cause I was like, well, you know, there's dental offices all over and don't really want to do the nursing <laughs> route because I don't like needles too much. And um, <laughs> pulling teeth though, I'm completely fine with for some reason. So I ended up, I went the dental assisting route. I loved it. But then of course there was a lot of extra schooling you have to do with that. And it just, John ended up, he went to Fort Benning right after we got married and he, we knew about it. He just said, Hey Sam, you know, I have to do this school after West Point and I have to do this school. And in order to do these schools, that's how you kind of get promoted. And with the amount of time that you have, you have to do certain things. So there's airborne school he went to. Wait, what is that? Is that jumping out of planes? So of course he gets married. I'm like, wait, you're gonna jump out of airplanes right after we get married? (laughs) He ended up going. It was about the a week or two right after Mm -hmm. we got married. So we couldn't do a honeymoon or anything. So we're just like, well, whatever. We're we're married. We've waited long enough. It's okay. We don't need a honeymoon. And so he he left, and I stayed back home. I finished up a little bit. The little bit of schooling I had left to finish up. And then right after he went to Fort Benning, he was stationed at Fort Bragg because he was an armor officer. No, Fort Knox. Or Fort Knox, I'm sorry. So he went to Fort Knox in Kentucky, which I was like, well, that's pretty close to Michigan. So I can finish up my school. And as soon as I'm done, I'm moving in with this guy. And a couple months after we got married, we finally got to move in together. And we're like, well, this is a change. She, she snuck into my apartment that was there too. She, it wasn't like a... Uh, I was agreed upon in terms. I mean, we knew, we knew it was going to happen, but uh, yeah, I came home from training one day, and by training, I mean driving tanks and being cool. And there's Sam cooking dinner or something, housewifey. I am uh, home. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, what the heck? I moved in. The first time we lived together was when we were at Fort Knox. And so this is almost six years after being together. We finally. We're together. We started our married life. And then he finished up his um, basic officer leadership course, which is called Bullock. Um, he finished that up and we sat oh, moved to we moved Fort to Stewart. Fort Stewart. Yep. A year after we were there, we decided, hey, it's, let's start having babies. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's we're, not, we're right? bored. Let's it's we're fun. young. Let's get this get this started. We'll be young parents and this we're tired. Like, let's just do this right now. And so I ended up, I did get pregnant with our son, Ian. And then. Um, so it was kind of fun. Cause it was, a, it was a great announcement. She's like, John, I gotta tell you something like you need to sit down. So sit at the table. And it's like, you know, there, there's only, you know, like thinking the worst things, there's only one thing uh, your wife's can tell you, you need to sit down. We need to talk. Oh crap. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I'm pregnant. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, great. Uh, I found something out today. I'm going to Afghanistan. (laughs) Yes, same day. Pretty much like the same day. Needless to say, talking, um, sticking true to your mantra, underestimated. Here's Sam, 20-ish, 
years old. Yeah, she, still baby. I mean, we'll just go with uh, still baby. She gives birth August 17th, August 17th <laughs> 2001 to, man, I'm bad at this. Little team. Ian. <laughs> I'm bad at this dad stuff, sorry. But um, so she gives birth and the birth is kind of chaotic. I mean, she's just, she's a little itty bitty girl. She gives birth to this like toddler, gigantic kid who we have some complications with the, uh, the pregnancy along with, as well as the birth. He goes to a, a neonatal intensive care unit. So a NICU that the day he gives birth or he, she gives birth to him. So Ian's birthday, uh, the first wave of soldiers flew from the, from Fort Stewart, Georgia to Afghanistan. So my guys, began the trip from home to, you know, the land of unpleasant things. Talked to my boss. Everybody knew that Sam was, I said it was a toddler. She was huge. That belly. I was 42 weeks along with the incredible. Two weeks overdue. Yeah, she was. Oh she was so she, uh, you know, she gets out of the hospital. We find our son. Story for another day. Yeah, trying to, you know, like they flew him to a, a different hospital. And I got to like go uh, leave Neeson and take in on it and try to find where my son's at, we find him. He gets discharged. Sam gets discharged. We move into our house together as you know a tiny little family unit. Unit. It's about the f- first week of September. Oh, the first week of September. Um, you know, I patted Sam on the head, gave her a right kiss on the cheek, patted the little baby on the head, and said, "Good luck, little dude." Jumped on an airplane and went to the land of unpleasant things. Uh, so literally, uh, here's this 20 year old young woman that. Uh, I mean, that was really your first time on your own, own not yep. not college thingy, but uh, on your own. Totally on my own. With Husband a human being that you had to take care of. And as we all know, babies are weird. Exhausting. <laughs> um, without, I mean, there she had good family help. Uh, I mean, people, I mean, you've got a brand new baby. People want to come and help. Uh, relied heavily on family to come down and visit. Uh, the church was a godsend, uh, the people that we had there at the church. But here she was on her own, like, good luck, Chuck. I'm out. And not just I'm out, but it, as I mentioned, it's the land of unpleasant things. I mean, people, this is the height of the global war on terror, wiping out uh, a Taliban in droves in Afghanistan. So it's not a pretty deployment vacation and it so she's <laughs> yeah, worrying, worrying about me, having to take care of a baby, having to take care of herself, managing finance, all of our, you know, taking care of the house. We had, we had a dang dog, doctor's appointments. I mean, just everything in life. And she's, for the most better part of anything, on her own. So if you want to talk about like a, an absolutely remarkable, incredible woman, like with strength and perseverance and gumption, like. Yeah, let's screw it. Let's just do it. You know, do it live. Uh, I no think the training. hardest part of his deployment, though, was this deployment was right as like Skype was starting to come out. And so the connection, we ended up paying like $80 a month just to try to get some form of connection for John to call home. And it was always like breaking up and he would call me, how's Ian? And that's all I would hear. And I was like, that's it. Like, what, what are you doing? Don't worry about us. Just tell us you're okay. That type of thing. Um, and those those conversations are usually like, "Hey, babe. Hey, I gotta go. I gotta uh, go. <laughs> sirens are going up, so we're getting shelled, or somebody's shooting at us. I'll be right back." So it's not, you know, not pretty easy going, you know. And of course, so. like me being 
the wife, um, John didn't really get to call home to his parents. He didn't get to call home to relatives, anything like that. His call was basically to home. And everybody would come to me, hey, Sam, have you heard from John? How's he doing? And at the time, I felt really bad about it. Having to be like, oh, he's great. There's nothing you need to worry about. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, well, today this, I heard this happen. And um, he would send home emails as much as he could. But of course, he was very busy on his deployment. Um, you are alone for the first time with a days old baby. Ten days old. There's a and lot a of... year old dog. <laughs> there's just so much power in that, that you, I can just picture one, I can picture a movie been being written about you too, but I can see like a storyline of you trying to do all of these things of superwoman, you know, like taking care of the baby, communicating with the family, finding time to talk to John. And then all like I, chasing you, alligators you, out of the yard and everything. Yeah. What? Chasing alligators out of the yard? The hardest <laughs> reality was like, I needed a gallon of milk or something. And I was like, how do I do this? I can't carry this car seat the same way as much as me. And I, I remember I was always like, I wonder if I can drive up through like Rite Aid drive through and just ask for a gallon of milk. <laughs> of course, now they have curbside pickup, which I'm like, oh, that would have been nice eight, nine years ago. <laughs> right. But simple stuff like that. That's what that was. What was hard was when you're by yourself and you're just like, I want I want to go to the store just to get a gallon of milk or bread or something and not having John home door. I was like, can you please just watch the baby just for a minute? And, and then can we you also go had, to the store for me? And then we also had uh, a real fun experience with police matters. Um, some, I had a case of stolen identity while yeah. we were there. Somebody yeah. was running around in my name, asking people for money saying, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm deployed. I need help. I need, you know, send money to me. Oh and, no. Yeah, so Sam so had to deal with that. Like all these ladies are texting Sam me, like, and I'm like you better, I was like, you better not be doing something behind my back. You better not be on these dating websites. And he's like, What are you talking about? Right. I'm too busy for this. And so of course then I had to deal with all that during the deployment and stuff like and it was just so it was just I mean you just see exactly like you're saying, you see these things. I mean, you know, they're simple run-of-the-mill things that, I mean, we do every day. Going to the grocery store, doing laundry, feeding the dog, putting the dog out to go to the bathroom, getting the dog to come back inside because he won't, because he's barking at whatever. Mowing the lawn. Mowing the lawn. Uh, Car trouble. Anything and everything. Just little things, paying bills. And here she is with a brand new baby. Just, you know, just crushing it, going through it. I mean, her hair might have been frizzly and... Mm -hmm super crazy permed out. I made it, but I made it a month into the deployment by myself. And I just, I ended up, I called my dad and he's up of course in Michigan. I'm in Georgia. It was clear across the United States. And I was like, dad, can you please come get me? I can't do this by myself. And he was like, you know, I thought you'd call a lot sooner than this. And so he ended up, he did, he Aww. called me and I just, I remember I cried and I said, dad, I can't do this. I, I need your help. Um, and so my dad, he loaded up his car. He came down and picked me and Ian up. And um, so a month after Ian was born, we moved up to Michigan. Of course, I was like, no, I'm I'm, in, I'm an independent woman. I don't want to move back in with my parents. And I did, though. And it was one of those things where a lot of military spouses end up doing that, kind of their first deployment. Kind of they do the same thing I do. They're like, I can't do this. 
And so I did. I moved home to Michigan for a little while and spent the holidays with our family. And then I think it was a month before he came back, I moved back home. Thankfully, I didn't have to move in with my (laughs) in-laws. Yeah, so we ended up... um, Moved back down to Georgia, got settled back in. But then, of course, it was all this stuff with like the stolen identity starts happening. And usually that last month of the deployment is the worst. So you're right at the finish line, kind of cruising through all the holidays. And then a lot of the all all military spouses know this, but we call it Murphy, um, deployment Murphy. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Your husband leaves, Murphy moves in. And so he, this Murphy... Basically, your car will break down, dish, all your appliances will break. It's like getting the ple- <laughs> it's like getting a ticket right outside your driveway. You yeah. Know, like, Come on, dude. And so, of course, you're just super frustrated and you just, all you want is your husband to come home because you're, you know, if he's, he just comes home, all this will stop. And it does. And then life becomes normal. So we made it all the way through the nine month deployment. Ian, at this point, he was starting to crawl. Um, the day before John came home, Ian crawled. He so couldn't he, wait. That little <laughs> he couldn't wait one day. But then John came home, and everything about a deployment, the moment that, I mean, I'll never forget this moment, but he, they, we went to a gymnasium, and they had the doors open, and all the soldiers start marching through, and it is so emotional. His mom, <laughs> everybody cries, and... Um, we wear our sweet cowboy hats. I think it's in the background. Yeah, there's one right here behind me. In that moment, when you just see your spouse, your boyfriend, whoever it is, everything doesn't matter anymore. And everything is right in the world again. And you just think, I just did that. How did I do that? I don't, I don't have a clue. And of course, they're just at work. They're doing their thing and they just come home. And of course, every... I mean, I give so much credit to every military spouse in the world. And of course, I don't think I do anything, but everybody else to me, I'm just like, you guys are amazing. You guys do this all the time. And um, this was our first appointment that we had. And Smith is the best, though. I just, I just like, told she, talks, she talks about, I mean, she's, she eats that humble pie like it's cake. Cake's always cake. delicious. <laughs> what was your driving force? What? Uh, other than having a newborn and love and, but what was it that like just, got you through what did you tell every single day was a countdown and it's something that only people who have been through a deployment can kind of understand but that homecoming is what you every single day you wait for that homecoming you just you think about it you're like okay he's gonna be home and 256 days and then eventually it's you know only 50 days and then it's oh my goodness he's gonna be home next week but he, and so that everybody looks forward to the homecoming. That's what, that's your driving force. You say, I'm going to do this. We're going to make it to that homecoming. He's going to come home and we get to live normal life for a little while. And hopefully more than a year, sometimes not. Um, <laughs> I, I remember one thing that has stuck with me that from Samantha at that time, uh, it wasn't just that countdown, like, I mean, yes, my guys might have made me those little paper things where you have to you staple it and it's a paper chain, you tear one off every day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we had a good countdown going. But Samantha did this thing that was remarkable that I use even today um, after like all the stuff we've been through. And it was not just a countdown to this grandiose moment of hooray, winning, but finding the positive or finding the win in every little situation. 
So rather than, you know, nine months down the road, that's a long time. I just got to make it. I just got to make the lunch. Oh, I don't know what time it is now, but just got to make the dinner. And after dinner, I just got to make the bed. Bedtime, just got to make till the morning. And like, you know, just doing these little tiny things being like, ha ha, I made it to lunch. I made it to the bathroom. Yay. Some people, it's a lot harder than others. I got but, like, yeah, she found, um, she found success and in these little infinitesimal matters compared to, you know, this grandiose scheme. And when we talk, she'd just be like, well, another day down, let's, well, you know, we'll talk tomorrow and we'll just keep going. And it was like that every day. And it was very motivating, very positive and a great way of thinking. Um, like I said, I used it through all my special operations training. Cause it's, I mean, you're miserable and you're just like, how am I going to make it another three weeks of this crap? It's like, I don't have to. I just have to make it 10 more minutes till lunch, 10 more minutes till dinner. Everything's around food, right? But uh, it was I a agree. I use that. I like, I explain it to people, like people that are getting ready to join the military. I'm like, hey, you know, like it's going to be difficult. Life, life sucks uh, for the most part. And there's, you know, like you can either wallow in your misery and self pity, or you can just be like challenge accepted. Like, so be it. And yay, you know, I, I was able to do whatever today. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, just having that positive mentality, not only, I believe, helped her get through the nine month deployment with the baby and all the, you know, any crap that can be thrown at her was, but it was, she was a bedrock for me during the deployment as well, as well as my soldiers, because it'd be like, hey, how's the family? It's like, let me tell you how my family's doing. Like, they're going, they're going crazy. And they all started calling her our platoon mama. Um, and be like, how's your platoon mama, mama doing? Tea. Oh man, she's, she's just crushing it. And they're like, oh yeah, cool. You know, she ate some cake today. Oh, we wish we could have cake or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. But that was, but that was a, I think that was a very, very incredible thing that was um, minor for the sake of the story, but for the sake of my entire life will be something that I'll always do. You know, when, you know, the worst things happen at the roughest part of my life, I'll be like, just remember Samantha did this stuff during, you know, our first deployment had this mentality, just, you know, find the positive in anything and it'll be good. Um, I, I want to move on to when we found out or when you found out about the, the bombing in Syria and going through that, but before we go through that, I think that story really resonates and is just, I think that there's probably a few other people that could be in a similar situation. So if you were going to tell somebody in that situation, anything that any advice or tell yourself advice before going into, all right, I'm here with the new board by myself in a house by myself, what would you say? Hey, what advice? Back yeah. up in two seconds. So yeah. leading up to the explosion, uh, or not the, well, leading up to the deployment, um, as soon as I got back from Afghanistan, you know, we did the, hey, we're married, we move in together, we kind of start figuring life out. Um, as we're just slowly figuring life out, I left again, almost immediately, came up to Fort Bragg. I went through, that was when I went through assessment and selection for uh, special operations, civil affairs, was selected. Almost immediately, we packed everything up in Savannah, moved up to Fort Bragg. A month after the deployment. So we're just back and I'm gone again. Go through the training. I mean, we can talk training, deployments and everything. Um, But 
just as a segue into uh, the most recent thing, that, which I think is very, very important, um, over the last, I want to say over the last five years, three of them, I think I've been deployed for four. three of the years or four of the years. Four of the last five years. So, and that's deployed, gone overseas, harm's way, uh, you know, kicking bad guys' teeth and whatnot. But even when I was back here in the United States, just like when I just got back, I was never really back here. Um, I was training. So Samantha, through all this time, I mean, we never really had a time where we were together, together home. We had, you know, that family unity. And just when things were like shaping up and it was like looking like we were going to have some time, um, I got picked for a trying to sound cool, secret and dangerous mission, whatnot. Um, And this is the one where I joined the, literally the world's most elite soldiers, flew to Iraq with my little band of soldiers. Uh, We were advisors to this unit. And then I was picked for this uh, special operations uh, team. And going through it, we kicked some teeth in, we did some damage to ISIS, they hated it. And I think that'll lead us right into... January 16th, 2019. It's not about me. It's about Samantha, but I'll just say doing just that to give honor to the soldiers that I lost. Um, it was Chief John Farmer was killed. Uh, Sergeant Scott Wirtz, Chief Petty Officer Shannon Kent, and then my linguist, a civilian contractor named Gadir Tahir. We nicknamed Princess Jasmine. January 16th, we were doing a combat operation. And ISIS was kind of getting mad at us because we were awesome. And we were, I mean, it was not going well for them. It was going very well for us, us being coalition, the United States, the free world. So they sent a suicide bomber into our midst uh, who detonated himself, uh, killing the four, wounding myself critically. This was about 12 o'clock my time in Syria. And that was when, I'll kick it to Sam. And you want to talk what? <laughs> John, yeah, no, you're like glassing the eyes over here, tearing up. You're like, I've, I mean, all we right. can talk about Syria all day, no. every day. But you're Sam, skipping way ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, Sam's like doing the her like finding out about it and all that. I think is very important because she's doing all this amazing stuff over the time, and it's not getting easier. I mean, you know, culminates really with this explosion. I mean, how do you prepare? I know I prepared very well for, hey, I'm getting ready to deploy again. What are we going to do on the deployment? We'd be able to sit down and talk through it. And I actually don't know if we ever actually talked about, uh, if I get hurt, this is what's going to happen. Or if I get killed, this is what I want to happen. We never spoke about it. It's just kind of, you know, something that, you know, you leave a stone you left unturned because who really wants to talk about it? So it's not something that you had to... And it's not something she's had to face. We did have a few situations where I've, you know, friends of mine were killed and we would go and do everything we could to help. Um, People that were on the deployment with me have been killed, but nothing that affected our family unit as a whole. Sam, walk us through the call. I don't think it was a call. I think you had people actually knock on your door. Um, what actually happened, so kind of backtrack just a tiny bit. Um, like he said, we made it through the first deployment. 
immediately moved up to Fort Bragg. He became civil affairs and then deployment, deployment, deployment. I just thought, wait, when are these things going to end? It was kind of weird because during the last deployment that John was on, um, we had talked a lot about, hey, John, you know, I, I really like you to start being home. Ian's six years old now and you've missed just about all of his life. And, you know, I would like for you to start being here and being present and not being, there's a lot of times I feel bad. I used to say it, but I would get so frustrated with the military because he was gone all the time. And I was like, you know, you're just a stranger coming into this house and I'm not okay with that. And you're my husband and you're Ian's father and I want you here. And so his last deployment, he, he, he sat down and thought about it a lot. And he was like, you know, I, I am tired of being gone. And I think it's time I get out. Because of that, you know, I just thought, oh, this is, we're at the finish line. We just got to make it through this last deployment. This is all we have to do. And from here on out, we really don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to figure it out. So it was the day before, John was supposed to be home January 15th. Um, that was when his orders said, hey, that's when he'll be coming home. So, of course, we made it to that last week, made it to January 15th, and I texted John. By now, we had texting capabilities. Yay, technology. (laughs) Just randomly, he January 15th, I said, John, troops are being sent home. President Trump's telling all troops to come home. Where are you at? (laughs) You're supposed to be on the plane today. And he was like, well, Sam, I just have to let you know that I got extended. And I thought... The day you're supposed to be home, you're telling me you got to stay for four months. And he had told me and he said, I just plan on me being home on April 1st. And I thought, well, what kind of joke is that? And so, of course, I was just super frustrated. And I said, John, just whatever, just hurry up and get home. And so he told me um, January 15th, he just said, Sam, I don't know why I need to tell you this, but tomorrow I have to go into the city. ISIS is here in the area and we need to set up security cameras and then we're going to go get lunch. I'll try to text you in between, but know that I'm going to be okay. Everything will be fine. You don't have to worry about me. I'll worst text comes you. To worst, maybe I'll poke a few holes in ISIS. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, I'll just, I'll text you when I get back. And so my joke kind of with them all the time is, okay, just put your helmet on be safe. He doesn't wear a helmet with the job he does. And so I was just Baseball like- cap. Yeah. I said, well, okay. I said, just put your helmet on, be safe. Um, I got to put Ian to bed. Just please be safe. Call me when you get back. Um, Usually he would call when I was taking Ian to school. That was when our, whatever, seven hour time change, whatever it was. That's when we kind of linked up. And so usually before school, you know, we would FaceTime or something and um, tell Ian like, Hey, have a good day at school. So of course I went to bed, got Ian to bed. And at six o'clock in the morning, I was woken up out of nowhere. I sat up in bed and was like, I swear I heard a noise. And I just was like, man, what in the world's going on? And so I remember sitting up and the sunlight kind of shone through our bathroom window, which it I'd never noticed it before. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Um, but I got up and I was like, yeah, I got to check on Ian. And I ran into his room and... Because I was just, man, something's going on. I don't know what. And so Ian was asleep. And I was like, well, I have an hour until Ian needs to be 
up for school, I'll just go back in the room and I'll look on my phone or something to pass some time and more um, sleep. <laughs> and so I was like, I'll just go lay in bed and relax before Ian gets up. And um, so I went back to bed and then my, like when I got back in bed, I was sitting there and my phone was just buzzing like crazy. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so I grabbed my phone. There was a news notification that went out and it said four troops in Mambidge killed. Um, 19, 19 total deaths, three survivors. And I was like, oh no. My heart started racing and I was like, John just told me last night he's going into Mambidge. From the time he told me, you know, hey, we have seven-man teams who go out. And I thought, oh, no, here we go. Something bad is going to happen today. In that moment, I just stopped and I said, God, it doesn't matter what happens today. Just help me get through this. And because I knew in that moment John was there, I ended up texting him just in case. And I just said, John, please tell me you're okay. And that's the only thing that I said. And by then it was like 6.30 in the morning. I said, you know, I'm going to wake Ian up early. We're going to get him up for school. I can't, I can't sit here and look at my phone. And the moment that I looked at it, though, and said, I'm going to put this away, a video had popped up. And it was of the explosion. I thought, oh, gosh, should I watch this? Probably not. But, of course, I was drawn to it. And I was like, what? I need to know what's going on there. So I clicked on the video and saw the explosion. And I just, oh, no. It doesn't matter if this thing says there's three survivors or not. There's no way nobody made the, nobody made it through this. There's no way John would have because John's the center of attention all the time. And he's got to be right in the middle of this. And so I ended up, I just saw my truck there too. I saw his truck in the video. Only I knew it was his truck because he's taking pictures in front of it and had the number three on the side of the truck. And we actually had our Christmas photo. I asked him to take a picture. I said, take a picture in front of your truck or something with your gear on and hold up a sign that says Mary and then we'll hold one that says Christmas and I'll make a cute Christmas card out of it and so I remember seeing the truck and all these pictures he sent me and I was like number three okay if I ever see the number three that's John's truck and sure enough I saw the number three truck and I just I knew I said well John's there and I just sat there and said you know what I may be a widow today and I don't know what I'm going to do but God's going to carry me through because He's the only support I have right now. And who else am I going to rely on? And at the time I got Ian up and I remember I was super frustrated because I was like, God, I don't know what I've ever done wrong in this world to deserve this. And I don't know what John has ever done to deserve this either, but I'm not ready to let him go. And I said, but even though today I'm probably going to have to face that reality. And, but it's not just me. There's 19 other families in the world who are going through exactly what I'm going to go through. And I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I said, so God, I'm just trusting in you. I'm putting this all on your hands. And that's all I can do. I took Ian to school. And on the way into the school, I just said, you know what? I told God I'm putting this in his hands. I turned on the Christian radio station and there was a song by um, Hillary Scott and it was, it's called Thy Will. And basically the chorus of the song just says, Thy Will Be Done. 
Um, and so I made that my prayer for the day. And I said, God, just whatever's going to happen, just get me through this and help me because you've always been there for me. You've always helped me through this. And today I need you more than ever. And um, so anyway, took Ian to school and he was like, mom, he kind of sensed something. And he's like, mommy, are you okay? And I just said, Ian, we just need to pray for daddy today. I just think something's wrong. And I said, I haven't heard from him, but I just want you to have a good day at school today. And I said, honey, I may not pick you up from school today. And if I don't, don't worry about it. I said, don't worry about mommy. I'll be home when you get home. And he was like, all right, bye. And he <laughs> out of the car and I just thought, man, to have the faith of a child like that, just to be like, oh, okay. And so Mom's he, got it. <laughs> Mom's got it. And so he's like, you know, I'm going bye. And so, but I remember when he walked into school, I just thought, I don't know, like Ian, come back, come back. I don't, I don't want to be alone today. And I shouldn't have sent him to school, but I did, of course. And I said, he doesn't need to be worrying with me. And he'll sense that I'm worried and I don't want to be frustrated all day and have him around it. And so anyway, then I started texting friends of mine and people who John had been deployed with previously. And I just said, I need somebody to please text me. I need help. I can't get a hold of John. His phone's off. He's not replying. We had WhatsApp and Signal and I didn't get the green check marks. And I was like, this is super frustrating. I can't get a hold of my husband. And there's been an explosion where he's at and I'm super worried about it. And if somebody would just please tell me that he's okay, I can stop worrying. And I had two people reach out to me. My very good friend, Ashley, texted me and she's like, Sam, you need to get out of your house. Just go do something. And she's like, he's probably under a blackout right now. They shut all the phones off when stuff like this happens he's going to be fine. And you have to, you have to trust that. And I was like, okay, whatever. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Cause you're not giving me the answer I want. And so then like the guys who John had previously deployed with, none of them replied to me. I thought, well, that's rude because if your wife was texting me, I would just be on the phone with you and be like, Oh no, everything's fine. But didn't get anything. And finally reached out to, um, a guy who John, he left on the deployment with, he had came home January 15th. And I was like, John was supposed to be on the plane with you. Where's he at? Why isn't he home? Cause I was super frustrated. And I said, you know, I'm going to text his wife. And so I texted his wife and I said, Hey, Rebecca, um, I need help. I need Mike's phone number. Cause I didn't have it. And John was on a, a special deployment where I had no, he was with nobody who I knew. Um, and I was like, well, I know Mike Reese's wife um, and she'll get, she'll, she'll get a hold of somebody or something, or she'll reach out to Mike and he'll figure something out. And so Mike ended up, um, I think it kind of pinged it off when I texted her and she's like, Mike, what, what's going on? Sam's saying all this stuff. You know, I can't, I don't find, I can't hear, I don't see anything on the news about this, but I know it was about eight in the morning. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Sam. I haven't heard anything yet. But if I do, I'm going to, I will call you as soon as I can. She was, but go home, take a shower and meet me for lunch. That's all I can tell you to do for now. And she's like, because you don't need to. Um, and as a public service announcement, um, the army was going through the steps to make sure that my four guys that were killed, each of their family members were notified appropriately, face-to-face, -face, no phone calls, you know, given the honor and respect due to them for their sacrifice 
that being said, it was, I mean, it's going to be what was the longest day of Samantha's of my life. life. <laughs> Literally. So I, by this time I took my shower, I'm driving in, I'm still trying to make phone calls with somebody. And I was like, man, if, if somebody does not answer my phone call and give me the answer I want, is John okay? I'm just going to go into work. I'm going to go into his work. I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to bang their door down and figure something out because I don't know where he's at. I don't know what he's doing. I don't even know who he's with. Just because the unit he was with was so secretive that I knew nothing. And so I ended up, went out to lunch with Rebecca. I just remember sitting there and I was just like, and this stinks. Silence is the worst thing in the world in a time like this. And I just finally, she had asked me, hey, do you want to go to Dairy Queen after this? What's next on the, what do you have next on your agenda? And I was like, I don't have, I just, I need to get home. I need to get Ian from school by now because it was about one o'clock. And I said, I need to get home to get Ian from school within an hour. And I said, but Rebecca, if you don't have answers, will you please go into work, into John's work with me and with Mike or someone? Can we meet up with Mike? And can we get answers or can we call the Red Cross? Can we do something? Um, and she took my hand and pulled me into the bathroom. I was like, what is she weird. doing? This is weird. <laughs> and she was like, Sam, I got to go to the bathroom. And I was like, well, I don't want to come in the bathroom with you. And so she ended up, she pulled me in. In that moment, she just told me, she was like, Sam, you have to know what's going on. And I said, well, yeah, I've been waiting all day. And I said, and if you don't tell me what's going on, I'm going to wring your neck because I can't stand the silence anymore. And I said, is my husband alive or is he not? She said, Sam, he was there. And somehow John is one of the three survivors, but he is the only one that is critical. And I thought, what? And she said, the only thing that I know is that he is hurt very badly and he may not make it. And I just stopped and I kind of fell against the wall. And I just thought, my husband, like, he's, I mean, he's, he's never in danger. And he, this couldn't happen to me. And I'm not the wife that's going to get the phone call or the, or the knock on the door, especially like, that's not my husband. He's so good at everything he does. And he makes sure he's safe and he doesn't wear his helmet like I tell him to, but he's, he's going to be fine. And so she had told me that and she just said, Sam, he's probably not going to make it. Just be prepared for that today. And I said, I just remember, I was just like, yeah, who cares what you say? How dare you say that? And I said, I got to get home. And she's like, well, I'm going with you. And because you can't be alone today. And I was like, I don't want anybody right now. I don't even want anybody to show up to my house. This isn't real. This is this just needs to go away type thing. I'm going to go get Ian. Everything that she just said, it's not true. I remember I got in the car and reality hit. And I said, I got to call my in-laws because their son is hurt. And if this was Ian, I, I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. And so I called my father-in-law and I just said, hey, Mike, um, I know you know what's going on. Because I had texted them earlier in the day and said, hey, you're going to see this on the news. Yeah, don't turn the news on. Don't turn the news on. And I said, please keep John's mom away from the TV today. I don't I, I don't want her to face this reality that I'm about to go through. And he was like, Sam, I'm going to do all I can. And he left work. He went home. Of course, it's all over the news by now. And I was like, why is this on the news? And I'm not getting any information. This just doesn't make sense. And um, But in this 
So like, and what she's kind of doing the summation for one second, she is trying her best to shield other family members from the, the, you know, these, this worry, the, well, somebody, the people are hurt and John, you know, is a soldier and the people are hurt there trying to shield them. And in shielding them, she's taking on the mantle of all that anxiety from, for each person, rather than just, you know, focusing on herself. She's like, I'll protect the family. I'm going to protect the family writ large until I know something. So that is just is a you know testament to her strength and her resiliency that she can just, yeah, screw it. Like, I mean, like this sucks a lot. I know things are really bad, but I'll, you know, I'll take on the bad because I can handle it. It probably wasn't going through her head, but she did. And it's incredible. And it, it was just one of those things in the time I was like, you know, if I have to go through this, I don't want anybody else to. And so I tried that and I was just like, you know what, I got to call my father-in-law and I have to call my dad. And those two people are the strongest people I know. They're going to help me. Nothing else is going to matter. We're going to get through this today. And I ended up, I called my father-in-law first and I said, Mike, you have to know what just happened. I just got word that John was in that explosion. He's alive right now, but he's not doing good. And I said, so I need you to pray and I need you to talk to Sandy which is my mother-in-law. And I just said, I, I don't know what else to say besides that. As soon as I get any information, I am going to call you, but I need you to come down here because I need you here with me. What time is this? What time of day? This was one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so I found out about six o'clock in the morning. Um, finally got word at one o'clock, about one I called my father-in-law and then I got, I was driving home And I called my dad and I said, dad, you need to leave work. You need to come down here again. I need you. I need you, dad, please come down here. And he said, Sam, what is going on? And I said, don't, you don't have time to turn on the news. You've been busy at work. John was, there was an explosion where John was at. There was a suicide bomber and he was next to John. John is very, very hurt. And I don't think he's going to make it. And I said, but dad, I need you to be here with me. when." When that time comes, when the military is going to show up and they're going to say, you know, you lost your husband, I'm sorry. Um, I just said, I need my dad and I need John's dad here. That's the only two people I want. You guys need to hurry. And my dad, he clocked out of work. He called my mom and he said, Michelle, pack our bags. I don't know how long we're going to be gone, but we have to go be with Sam. And they dropped everything and they started like within the hour they, they left and they came home. Um, came here to North Carolina with me. Um, Those are some good in-laws. <laughs> and of course, I'll John's parents, that. the same thing. I <laughs> told Mike, I said, Mike, you got to hurry. You got to get down here and you got to, you got to beat the, you got you to somehow be my superheroes. My dads are my superheroes. And I said, you have to hurry up and get down here. And of course, reality, I was like, oh, they're not going to make it. That's a 12 hour car ride. And I was I told him, I goes, if you need to fly, I'll send you, I'll fly you guys down here, but please hurry and get here. And, and then- during this whole time, um, just to kind of like add more weight to her worries. So the army still hasn't, we hadn't gone through the complete notifications to our new extended family that we have. Um, I will do a shout out to uh, like Tabitha Farmer, John Farmer's widow, Amina Shaheen, uh, Gadir Tahir's mother, Dave and Fran Wirtz, uh, the parents of Scotty Wirtz and um, Shannon Kent's husband, Joe. So they're going through these, literally the worst, I mean, the worst moments, the worst days of their lives as well, 
they're, you know, they're getting to the punch, like, all right, we got to notify Smith. I think that was actually yeah. like through the video teleconference, my boss in Syria got on the horn and was like, Hey, everybody stop. Like, have we told Mrs. Turnbull about John being alive? Oh, by the about, way. <laughs> um, the other two gentlemen that I was with that survived, have we told their families? And they're like, no, he's like, all right, I'm making an executive call. Go tell them right now. But the reason they hadn't done this is you don't want to imagine, you don't want to say the wrong thing and have things, I mean, with how much life changes, uh, they didn't want to come here and be like, hey, Samantha, John's okay. And, you know, everything will be okay. We're going to get you to Germany, like, which is what she's going to explain how they did, because I was not okay. Um, I was in and out of consciousness. I believe by this time, by the time she got home at one o'clock, it was about eight hours later after the explosion, I had arrived in Baghdad, Iraq to a real hospital and was being treated. And by this time on my medical records, I had written down um, dead upon arrival three times. So I'd like officially flatlined, a respirations had stopped, a doctor, a surgeon, a medical professional had written down that I was officially died in date and time of the death. This was preparing to be the worst moment of Samantha's life. And they're, you know, they're watching, they're what, like, I mean, you know, everybody's on the edge of their seats, like, hey, John, you just got to hang in there, buddy. Well, you know, that way we can tell your wife good news. Um, Goodish news. And the whole while, you know, she's here, you know, taking on this mantle of responsibility of like, how do I tell everybody, you know, like, hey, come down here. We're going to talk about this. Uh, you know, mom, dad, get here. Father-in-law, get here. Doing these things all the while, Ian's in school. People are texting her outright. I mean, we had this really annoying, annoying cousin from Texas named Krista who kept <laughs> texting Sam like, hey, has you heard from John? Have you heard from John? And uh, I, literally, I literally had people from all over the United States. Hey, we just saw what happened on the news. What's going on? And to not have an answer for them, I was like, I can't say anything. I had at least heard the news Love that like you. John was hurt and he was very hurt. And so of course, Rebecca, she had told me, she's like, Sam, we got to get you home because Fort Bragg's on their way. That's all that I can tell you is that they're on their way to your house. And I was like, right now I'm a mess. Like I got to put myself together. And so she, I got home somehow. It was 40 minute drive. I made it home and made it home, made it home. Wait, There's wait, wait. Under my chair. I know. But it was one of those things where I just said, you know what? I, I got to make it home. That's all I got to do today. I got to make it home. I had called our very good friends. We call them our Southern parents down here. I called my friend Trina and I said, Trina, I'm sure you, well, I texted her during the day and I said, hey, I, here's what's going on. Um, just be on standby. And they know what standby means. And um, I said, but I'm going to need you guys to pick Ian up from school today. And they're such good people to us. They have a spare car seat and they're like, we got it. We understand. We'll get Ian. We'll meet you at the house. And I had called her and I said, you got, here's the word. John was there. He was hurt. Please go help me. Please just get Ian for me. She got Ian for me. He came home and it was the moment I dreaded so much. And I was like, I got to, I got to tell Ian now, like, how do I tell Ian this? And He's, how's he going to wrap his head around this that, you know, his dad's going to be a completely different person from this moment on. If he survives this, what are we going to face? I have no idea. Um, and so believe it or not, the right side with the flap, that's my pretty side. <laughs> no, but one thing I did want to say about Samantha is during all this, and this is about Sam, not me, like 
really rough time for her. Honestly, I would say this is, it is worse for our uh, spouses than it is for us. I mean, like I'm fighting for my life physically, just, you know, getting there. We have phenomenal medical personnel to get us to the point. I mean, just imagine physically I can deal with it. Like, you know, getting the, the getting blood drawn today, whatever, you know, slap it off, take off the bandaid and we're still good to go. I can, you know, if I can take it, I can make it. But how do you deal with it in here? You know, like how do you deal emotionally? It's nothing you can, nothing Samantha could fix. Nothing you can do can fix this. You can't just like, you know, throw a bandaid on it and call it a day. So how do you accomplish it? And Samantha did something that is what I, I give her the, you know, full credit. I mean, I had some pretty awesome surgeons but they weren't, they weren't that awesome. Samantha was the one that got me through this, that, well, got me through the whole process and we'll talk about it, but got me through January 16th, 2019. Um, She, when she found out that I was hurt, she called just about anybody and everybody she knew. And she did the one thing she knew that would help. And she said, Hey, can you just pray? Just start praying, talk to God. God will take care of it. I mean, it kind of became like our uh, catchphrase, you know, God's got this. I mean, as I mentioned, died three times, uh, like officially, uh, had crazy surgeries, but everything through it, like demonstrated, you know, there was like a divine intervention over and over and over. And I want to give it testimony to Samantha's faith that the first, first person she turns to is Jesus. And I was like, Hey, you know, you got this. I mean, you made, you made everything. If, you know, if it's John's day, I mean, nothing we say or do will nothing prevent it. Like it. he's going to go and hang out there and, you know, have that nice white robe, eat cake. You know what I'm saying? Also, like if you want John to, you know, continue to, you know, continue to be a father to his son, see his son grow up, get married, uh, be there for her every day that I can be. Um, he's like, you got this, God. God's got this. And I think that source of um, that spirit and um, religious fervor really played out quite a bit, not only in with me, I'm here, woo, you know, God worked his magic. I think Samantha became a source of power once again for unspeakable uh, number of people, um, you know, uncountable numbers of people just like in Afghanistan, where people come and be like, hey, how's your wife doing? You know, like, oh, you know, she made it through, you know, she killed three more mosquitoes. We're winning. You know, the game's on, the, you know, game's afoot or whatnot. People are calling just to be like, hey, this is this is crappy. We don't know what's going on. What's going on? She's like, hey, just pray. God's got it. John will be okay. And I think that was some things that people reached out to me, like Rebecca Reese, uh, just to do a shout out for her for telling Samantha that I was okay in a sense but she's like samantha told me the first thing she said she's like well you know god's got this john will be okay like in no uncertain terms you don't know that like well god's pretty awesome and you know he can make it through this so just throwing that footnote in there um samantha's religious religious life um her fervor and her dedication to god and like, once again, like, what do you do? How do you get through something? You know, I'm thousands of miles away hanging out in a crappy hospital in the middle of Iraq. 
where you know you only hear about it in the news. What can she do? There's nothing she can physically do or anybody can do to help me but pray. And so she turned to the one source that she knew she could turn to, and it was incredible. I, I truly believe, and I will say it till long past the day I get to hang out with our with God in heaven. The only reason that I'm here today, and the only reason I survived that horrible, horrible day is because of my wife, Samantha, and her prayers and encouraging other people to pray, not only just to pray, but knowing that she can handle it. She's good. And like, it was just, I mean, like her story is fascinating and I'm rambling on so we don't get to hear more of it. So I'll, I'll shut up and Sam will keep talking. Well, what happened was um, right after I got home, Ian came home, of course, and it was one of those moments that speaking of my religion and whatever, my faith, um, Ian, I told him what happened. I said, Ian, you know how every single night we pray for daddy and we pray that he's safe, that he stays safe. We really need to pray for him right now because a bad guy tried to hurt daddy really badly today. And I said, and he did, he hurt him so bad that I don't, I don't know how hurt daddy is, but we need to pray. And he said, well, why don't we do it right now? Ian just said the most amazing little prayer that any child could ever say. And I just lost it in that moment. And he was like, I can't do this. I, I thought I was being strong today, but my son just proved otherwise. Like my faith is not as strong as his. And so Ian was just, yeah, okay, daddy's going to be fine. And I said, you know what, Ian, you're right. He's going to be, because even if he doesn't live the next couple of minutes or the next couple hours, he's going to be okay because he's going to, He's going to go to heaven and everything will be okay. And we just got to get through it one day at a time. So anyway, then right after he prayed, John's boss, three other, the chaplain and a good friend of his who went through the captain's career course with John and one other guy who I still don't know who he is. I just, I'm going to say he was an angel or something. I don't know. He, they showed up. Of course, at this time, my friend Trina was here. I just remember I leaned on her and I said, Trina, I can't do this. Like they're going to knock on my door. I saw them walking up the walkway and I said, no, don't answer the door. I can't do this. I don't want to face this reality. And she said, Sam, you have to. And she said, because like you've said all day, there's nothing we can do to change this. And she said, but one positive thing is that there's four people and not two. And they're wearing their camouflage uniform and not their dress uniform. That's a good sign, Sam. And so I said, oh, whatever. And I actually sat right here where I'm sitting right now. And they came in and his boss sat across the table from me and he just said, Sam, you know why we're here, right? And I said, yeah. And of course, a little anger came out and I said, but this what, is, yeah, 10 hours what later, took so. you so long to get here? And they're like, what do you mean what took us so long to get here? And I said, I have known since six o'clock this morning. I don't know what's taking you so long because everybody who John is with, they're all stationed out of Fort Campbell. And I said, John's the only person from Fort Bragg. So what, what has taken you so long to get here? And that was when he said to Sam, we didn't know how to show up. Um, and he said, now as unfortunate as that is, he said, I don't mean to sound rude or anything like that. He said, but it's a good thing that it took us this long. Um, he said, because as of right now, your husband 
is no longer in Syria. He has made it to Iraq. And I'm going, wait, what? And that was kind of when reality hits in because you're like, wait, my husband's supposed to be in Syria. What do you mean he's in Iraq? And they said he's stable enough that they got him to Iraq. He is out of Syria. He is safe. He's at a hospital. And as soon as he can, they're going to fly him to Germany. And we need to get you there. And I, okay. Um, but I said, but can you please tell me what's wrong with him? Um, because of course that was kind of the first thing. The only thing I was thinking was what do, what am I going to face? Um, when I see my husband next, um, and that was when he, it was the worst moment because just when a day you think can't get any worse, um, that was when his boss said, well, Sam, your husband took all the shrapnel to his face. And he also took some to his chest and some to his abdomen. And I just thought, whoa, my husband? <laughs> and I was like, my Matthew McConaughey took all the shrapnel to his face? And I was like, what are you talking about? And um, I said, no, that, that can't be. And he said, and I'm really sorry, but the report that we have is that your husband is unrecognizable. And he'll never look the same again. And he's lost vision in his right eye. His right eye has come out already. And they're doing all that they can to save the left. And I just thought, what? My husband, he's blind? Is that what you're telling me? Like, as of right now, yes. He's blind in one eye. And even worse, um, his face, got the face beard got singed. So no more face <laughs> armor. And they cut his hair on his head. <laughs> Um, the worst things ever. <laughs> no, but um, sorry. They that was when they that that was all the information that they had though. And I said, of course. Then it just when they they told me stuff, they were talking to me. But it literally became I became a character out of Snoopy and Charlie Brown, and the teacher was just want 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 to me. And I'm like, I don't care what you have to say anymore. My husband's alive. He's okay for now what are the next, how do I get, what do we do next? How do I get to wherever he's at? I I told him, I said, so am I going to Iraq? Where am I going? And they're like, no, you, you're going to go to Germany. You'll meet him there when he gets there. And I said, well, when will that be? That was when they said, we don't know. And they said, Sam, your husband may not make it 12 hours. And I was what? So here you come in here and tell me good news that my husband's alive just to then tell me he's not going to make it. And they, they said, give me really good odds. I had 0% chance of surviving 12 hours. And which that was so the bad. first time they were like, you know what? He's, he's more than likely not going to make it. So just be prepared that we may have to come back but out here. And I was like, no. Did. And I was like, you're going to stay here because as of right now, life is okay. And you're not going to leave and you're not going to come back. And you're not going to tell me that something is worse. And I said, you have to put that mindset. I said, because you got to forget about this whole he's not going to make it thing. Um, and they said, well, Sam, just, just be prepared for it. And I was like, well, no. And I, I was like, John's, no, he's going to make it and he'll be okay. And thank goodness here we are today. But, um, I ended up fast forward through the chaos of the week. I made it to Germany. And so that became her, her driving her focus, like rather than lament on the woe is me, I am a, you know, married to a incredibly dashing looking Matthew McConaughey. Um, <laughs> but rather than focus on that and like, 
focus on little things like that. She became focused on the mission, the goal. All right, how do I get there? How do I, you know, you know, unify this family cohesive unit? Because she knew that she's like, if I get there, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. Let me get there. (laughs) Yeah, she. He just needs me there to pet his hair and whatever. Yeah, pat my face and check my teeth. Uh, They they ended up. So that was that became her focus, and it it was great. Like, I think that really. I mean, you can talk about it, but not. But that was kind of like what helped you get through the day. Like that. That became my day. It was day by day. So I just thought, okay, I gotta go to bed. Like everybody out, everybody leave at this point. I mean, I had people here till about nine o'clock at night, and I just said, all right, everybody's got to go. I'm tired. Ian's got to go to bed. This reality is a new reality. And your mom and, gotten here by the No. Okay. And so um, it was about nine o'clock at night. And I told Rebecca, I said, Rebecca, you've been with me all day. You got to be sick and tired of seeing me crying. I said, just your husband just got, got home. home. I, yeah. I said, your husband just got home yesterday. You got to go spend time with him. And she's like, no, Sam, you have, you have, you can't be left alone tonight. And I said, I'm not going to be alone. I have Ian. This is a new reality that we have. This is a new life that we have. And it starts right now. Um, so I said, "Hey, there's nothing I can do about this, and this is a new, this is our new our new normal type thing." And I just said, "Like I said, it doesn't matter what happens, we're gonna get through this day." And I said, "I just want this day to be over with." Um, so I sent everybody home, um, put Ian up in bed with me. I said, "Ian, you're sleeping with mommy tonight," and yay, he was all excited. So. Um, <laughs> But of course I was like, but you're sleeping in mommy's spot. I'm sleeping on daddy's spot tonight. I don't, I don't care. Um, but so I ended up, I got Ian to bed and that was when I kind of made my first Facebook post. And I just said, Hey, you know, this is what happened today, but all I need is for you guys to pray. Um, I don't know. And I just, I left it at that. And I, and I prayed with Ian before bed and I said, all we need to do is sleep and we're going to wake up tomorrow it's going to be a new day and grandma and papa are going to be here and it's going to be different, but we have to make it through t- till tomorrow. So for now, we're going to go to bed and tomorrow we'll wake up and either this dream will become reality again, or it'll be a whole new day. So I ended up, went to bed, woke up the next morning. Uh, my parents had drove all night long. So they got in at it was five o'clock in the morning. I woke up early. <laughs> oh gosh. This is a reality. Okay, this this did happen yesterday, um, but I just gotta make it through today. My parents are coming. My in laws are coming. Basically, I just have to get through seeing them because I'm gonna cry when I see them. But after that, we'll be good. Of course, we did. They got in, and I cried and hugged them and told them thank you for coming and said, hey, here's what we have to do. Uh, Fort Bragg is coming out again today. We have stuff we have to get done. I have to do X, Y, and Z. You guys have to do X, Y, and Z. We have to get put on orders. This is chaos. I understand. You guys are tired. You can go up to bed. You can take a nap. You can do whatever you want, but I'm going to be busy these next few days. Um, And I didn't mean to sound, I don't know, (laughs) rude or anything, but I was like, this is our, this is my reality. And it's about to become really wild, but I need you guys here beside me to help me get through this. And so the next few days just became, Sam, you got to cancel John's credit cards. You got to turn off his phone. You got to, 
do silly stuff like we had rabbits and dogs and chickens and ducks and I said I gotta do something with all these animals and I gotta figure out what to do with the dogs and I'm I gotta go to Germany and Ian's gotta go home with my parents or John's parents and nope because John's parents are coming with me I want them with me and so every everything had to be planned out I was like I gotta empty out the refrigerator because I don't know when I'm gonna be home next and I got to make sure the dishes are done. The house is clean. Um, I got to make sure I take clothes with John for John. There's there a lot of stuff that she had to do. So much stuff that was, was just absolutely overwhelming. And so one thing, um, I mean, we, we talk about, you know, like this overachievement um, or not overachiever, but like all this crazy, uh, amazing stuff that Samantha has done. But in one thing, uh, I mean, we'll fast forward just a little bit, if you're okay with it, yeah. to Germany. I get there and I have the state of the art, greatest surgeons, medical care. I mean, we're America, so that's that's to say a thing. We've got, you know, this technology. I'm hooked up to anything and everything. And Samantha and income Samantha. And who's Samantha? My wife. And what, you know, like you let me tell you about all her PhDs. I mean, she'd been married to me yeah. for how long, which is way better than any PhD. Um, so one thing I would like to comment on is what, during the chaos of medical stuff where people are trying to figure stuff out about me, I had some craziness going on, uh, that can only be described as, Ugh. and doctors couldn't figure out stuff. And they're like, what do we do? How do we save Turnbull? Um, he's dying or he's, this is bad. This is bad. And in comes this young lady and she's like, oh, just do this. Makes John happy. And I, I snap my fingers. And it works. Like, holy crap. I mean, these doctors are some of the greatest doctors in the world. I had, my brain was like a balloon. was filling up full of pressure. Intracranial pressure was so high, I was about to spaz out and just be done. And so they're like, we've got to fix this. So doctors did what doctors do. They're like, all right, turn the lights off. I'm blind. That's not going to help. Whatever. Um, no noise, no touch, you know, perfect climate, you know, this sensory deprivation to try to like get me to calm down and let my inner cranial pressure decrease. Did it? Nope. And like I said, in walks this, you know, beautiful woman on my right. And they're like, we can't figure this out. He's going to die. His brain is blowing up like a balloon. It's going to be bad. And she's like, oh, you just want to relax? She's like, yeah. She's like, can we play some music? And they're like, yeah music what do you know like you little dumb hillbilly from the middle of michigan that nobody knows about and she's like john likes music john listens to music all the time if you want him to relax let's play a little bit of music uh and then samantha did the thing that i'm like really proud of her so she negotiates with them tell you what doctor mr 15 years in college that can't write worth crap that's stereotyping, and I apologize if you're a doctor. Yeah, whatever. I wasn't that mean. But uh, she's like, you you let me play one song, and we see and what happens. We'll see. We'll see what happens. If his ICP skyrockets, we stop it, and we don't do it anymore. You don't have to listen to me tell you what to do. All this, I'll do this thing where that you probably never heard in your life before from a woman. I'll say you were right. Whatever. Um, I'll that's how I see it happening. Rights. I'm passed out. I don't know. <laughs> And she's like, but if we play one song, 
his ICP remains normal or it drops, we play two songs. Same thing. If you don't like the noise, John don't like the noise, whatever, whatever, we turn it off and we're just done with it. And, you know, the doctor is like, okay, that's me portraying a doctor. I haven't had some, I've had some bad times with doctors and I apologize to all the doctors if I offend you. Um, you can buy a large case of thick skin at Walmart's on sale right now. <laughs> but um, so Samantha turns to um, our chaplain, um, a guy by the name of Jordan Hendricks, who flew over to Germany with her. And he's like, hey, you got any music? Like, I don't have my phone. So Samantha's like arguing for them to play this music on her phone. She doesn't even have a phone. Yeah, like, talk about. So he's like, yeah, I got some. And she's like, can we play a Christian, Christian song? So they put on. If I'm wrong, it's a casting, casting crowns. crowns. So shout out to casting crowns. Good job, guys. Love you, dudes. Doctors have been trying to get my ICP down over and over and over. And in comes the little Miss Muffet over here, <laughs> who sat on her tuffet to play some music. That was on my feet. Honest to goodness, it, it was, was a miracle. A miracle. Absolute uh, miracle. God was like, you know what? Yeah, Samantha, she's one pretty cool chick. We going, we going, we going to do this. And my ICP dropped. And this from... is the first time it's dropped. Even just, and I'm not saying like dropped, like beep one. And like everyone would have been like, what the, you know, heck, this is amazing. It didn't. It dropped to it was such around, an extent. It was around the 24 when I got there. And I said, well, what's normal? Like zero is yeah. normal. <laughs> Anything above 10 is bad. Anything above 10 is really bad. Um, to the point of they worry about extensive brain damage. And so they said, we got to get this down somehow. Otherwise, he will not go home. You are not going back to the United States until we get this at least under a 10 because he has to fly um, for hours. So we were looking for just a drop of one, like 24. And so dropped down 23 would have been cool. It was at 24. Amazing. We put the music on. And I mean, we were like watching the screen. And we're like, all right, God, show your first miracle or something show up, show off type thing. And <laughs> it went from a 24 down to a 12 with one what? song. Like, mind blown. That was kind of the moment for the day where they're like, oh my goodness, John's finally calmed down a little bit. And even his blood pressure went down, which was incredible. And I said, see, I told you like this quiet would drive him insane. And so I was like, but it drives me insane. Like I gotta be listening to something. It was bad. And so he... His ICP just dropped, and they were like, "Man, if we can keep it like this, you guys can go home." So they're um, looking for that drop of like a single point, and it goes down twelve, 12 <laughs> points in the matter of you know two or three minutes. So that's absolutely, I mean, to, to you know, a testament to Samantha's faith in God. I mean, if surgeons with fifteen years of college experience can't fix it by drilling holes into my noggin to alleviate the pressure yeah, and putting in stuff and medicine and Buku, crazy monitors, anything and everything. But you turn one song on and it drops drastically. Talking about being underestimated when surgeons and science and technology can't do it. But this woman shows up and just stunned. Like, I got this. So she knew far more than any doctors would ever know. And just because she knew who I was, she knew me. That was why they, like, the kind of coolest part of it all was um, in that moment when his ICP dropped, it stayed dropped from that moment on. And the next day we went up and I was like, oh, wow, his ICP's still good. Like, this is awesome. Well, 
his nurse was in had his music blaring just no more <laughs> silence lights are on we're gonna get john better from here on out and so he i was dancing he had music on which i was like falco like wow i'm impressed and he was like hey i really like this band do you have another recommendation and so we started playing more music um i did have a friend of mine back home i was like hey terry he's very good friend of ours he sang at our wedding and i just said terry can you please sing a song for me and he played he recorded a song for me and i played it for john and um but when i played it i had told them i said say hey since his icp is down is it safe to start bringing him off sedation just to see how he reacts type thing and they're like well we weren't going to do it but since it's low like what's it going to hurt we need to start bringing him off the sedation anyway. He's and been on it now. What they had told Samantha was that I had these bones, and you can see the flap over my right eye. And I said, right, like you guys do, right, whatever. Um, but <laughs> my brain, and they're like, he's paralyzed on this side, L side. The left side of my body was completely paralyzed, and I wasn't going to remember anything. They're like, but we don't know because he's so drugged. We haven't, I mean, been able to test to see if, Either, either of these points are true. And so they start bringing me off. And... They brought him off just enough like that they would come in and they would pinch him and try to get a reaction from him. They told me like his left side is not working. He, the way that the shrapnel went into his eye socket, he's going to be paralyzed on his left side. And I thought, my husband's blind. He's going to be paralyzed. Not today. This is not going to happen. And Thankfully, I'm not <laughs> left-handed, so we're good. But I was just like, man, this, no, like John, he's so active. I'm I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this at all. And so that was when I was like, well, you know what? Can, you've already given me bad news. Can we take him off the sedation just a little bit enough just to see mentally where he's at? Is he going to remember even who I am? Because at this point I was like, what is the point in trying so hard if he's not going to remember me? And what's the point of all this? Like, I don't want my husband to struggle. Of course, I was like, because, you know, who wants their spouse to struggle through all this? And I said, I'm here to make him better. And that is my only job. Let's test out the sedation thing. His his ICP's down. Let's do it today. She's like, let and me just talk to him. I said, all I want to do is talk to him. And I just, I said, this man better know who I am. We've been together now 15 years. If he does not know who I am, I'm going to make that left side move. Like he's never <laughs> And so they ended up, they took him off and they just said, you know, talk to him and just, he's not going to reply because he had a breathing tube in, of course. Like, he's not going to talk to you. He's not going to say anything, but he might turn his head towards you or he may not, or he may do something, but we'll see what he does type thing. And so he came, I told him, I said, okay, are we ready? Let's do this. So they, they turned off the sedation. He started coming to, of course, with his right hand, he started reaching for stuff like, what, what is this? What, what's going on? And so I just grabbed his right hand and I said, Hey John, it's, it's me. I know you don't know what's going on. I know that it's dark. You're probably hurting quite a bit. And I said, but I'm here. I'm in Germany with you. You were hurt, but you're going to be okay. I just need to know if you know who I am. And he squeezed my hand three times, which some corny love thing that we did that when we couldn't say that we loved each other, we would squeeze our hands three times. And um, that was our way of just saying, I love you. And 
when he squeezed my hand three times, I just lost it. And the nurse was, what are you crying for? <laughs> my son just told me he loved me. And she's like, you didn't say anything. What are you talking about? And I was like, he just squeezed my hand three see, times. See how much you know. And so she's like, well, what does that mean? And I said, it means that he loves me and he knows who I am. And I said, so whatever you guys say from here on out, it doesn't matter to me. I said, because my husband just told me he loved me. This was not the reunion. This was basically the first time that we got to interact with each other. Of course, homecomings, you're all hugging and kissing each other. We didn't get that homecoming. Like we had three previous deployments and I was like, this is our homecoming right now. And he just told me he loved me and this is the best day of my life. She was like, whatever, kind of walked out. And she's like, well, you know, see if you can get a response from him. See if he can do anything. And at this point, while he was asleep, I was moving his arms, moving his legs because they told me he was paralyzed. And I said, no, it's all muscle memory. I've watched videos on this stuff. All you got to do is practice and you'll get it. And for John, though, the next couple of days, I I told him, I said, well, John, here's what we're going to do. They said that you're paralyzed on your left side but I'm going to work with you and we're going to get through this and we're going to prove these doctors wrong. And so that made, that was my next goal for the next few days. I said, I'm going to, I told the doctors, I said, Hey, he responded to me. He knows who I am. He knows my voice. This is amazing. And before they put him back to sleep, I just told him, I said, well, John, Hey, you need to rest. We're going to let you go back to sleep. And I said, you need it. That's how you're going to heal. And we're going to take this one day at a time. And he ended up, he reached up with his right hand and he pulled my head down. Onto his <laughs> and I was like, oh no, there's stuff all over you. I don't want to lean on Doobie. you. But he gave me a hug and our chaplain snapped a picture of it. And I will cherish that picture forever. But he, that was when I knew life was going to be okay. And I said, we're going to go through this. And this is the hardest, hardest thing we're going to ever do. But we've been through hard stuff and it's going to be okay. And I called his parents and I said, Hey, we're going to be out here for another week. At least John's ICP is still, it's not where they really want it to be. They want it under 10, um, but he's recovering well. So you guys can come out now at the time we're only supposed to be in Germany for three days. And they're like, no, we we have a lot longer. This could be months. And I was like, months. We got John's parents out, but during the week, I started moving John's body and his hands. I'd move his fingers. I'd move his hands. I'd move his arms. I'd move his legs. I was exhausting myself. And he ended up, they brought him out of sedation again. And they're like, you know, Mr. Trimble, you don't have to keep doing this. Like, you're not going to get a response from him. And I said, well, I don't, I don't believe you. And that's okay. And if we have different opinions, that's okay. I'm in the room. Let me do something. Let me help. I moved him so much that... A nurse came in and I said, can we take him off sedation, please? I just, I want to talk to my husband. And they're like, yeah, well, we can do it just shortly though. We're not going to do this long because he starts grabbing at stuff. And um, <laughs> so I talked to him and I said, John, I need you to do me the biggest favor I will ever ask you to do. And I said, and it's not, it may be really hard for you to do, but I need you to do this just for me. Admit that I'm right. Yeah. Dang it. And so I ended up, um, she was right. I was holding his right hand and I said, listen, John, they've told me that you're paralyzed on your left side. They come in, they pinch you and you are all bruised up and I'm tired of seeing them hurting you. And I said, so could you please just move something on your left side? And I said, 
let it be your finger or something. And I said, or wiggle your toes or do just something for me to say, okay, yeah, I'll do it. He stuck up his left thumb and he's like, got it. And I was like, oh my gosh, he just moved his left thumb. And that was was the (laughs) biggest like highlight of the week. And I was like, all this work I've done, he just gave a thumbs up and the nurse saw it and she just ran out of the room. Like she saw a ghost and she was like, you guys, you wouldn't believe it. Captain Turnbull gave a thumbs up and we're like, I can't believe this just happened. And it could so, have been a different finger, but <laughs> I told him, I said, okay, from here on out, sedation comes off during the day and we're going to start moving this guy as much as we can. And so they all agreed to it. And they said, you know, yes, this, he needs to be coming off the station now. Um, I said, John's parents are coming and I want him to be able to move and give a thumbs up or I don't know, let him hold his mom's hand for crying out loud. And I said, but I just want him to start moving. They all agreed to it. And even the doctor's like, well, we shouldn't do this. But, you know, if you say you're, it's your call, Miss Turnbull. And I probably tired him out and <laughs> wore him out, but he slept good. But they ended up um, every day, though, we would move him. And his dad showed up and I said, hey, um, this is what we do when we're in here. Our job is to help John in ways that the doctors can't. The doctors and nurses come in. They can change his IVs. They can give him the medication he needs, but he needs us to, we need to help him more than anything. And I said, Mike, you're stronger than me. You get John's legs. You start pumping that left leg and you move it and I'll move his arms. And we would actually play thumb wars with him and (laughs) and I gave him squishy balls and toys to play with and of course the nurses all kept them because they're like these are cool we love these where'd you get them and they were playing with them and I gave John a squishy ball and he kind of like threw it like this is the most disgusting thing I don't want this but it's you know the heart of winter in Germany which is pretty cold um the hospital room is freezing because even though it's snowing outside they still have the air conditioning on and I'm very modestly dressed with a hand towel (laughs) over my waist. So I'm freezing. So this is the only like physical anything that I'm able to do being pulled off of that, off of, um, off of my sleep. So it it was absolutely incredible. And it was a a miracle every step of the way, Samantha, just, Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to heal you as the beginning of my recovery. We're going to get you better Doctors can, you know, cut you apart and put you back together and fix you medically, but we're going to get you better. And that kind of became Samantha's uh, watch or, you know, catchphrase or her goal, her mission was to get me, you know, help me with my rehabilitation. And it started right then and there. And she was able to elicit the help of tons of people. She brought people in to, besides my parents, people in to help with me that I hadn't spoken to or seen for years. People that I served in the army with um, came in up to say hi. She like would His reach out to him being like, first hey. deployment was actually stationed in Germany. And I reached out to his wife and I was like, I don't know if John would like a visit from your husband or not, but would you be willing to drive here and come and just be there for John? And of course, they're like, absolutely. We've been waiting for you to get a hold of us because, of course, people didn't want to intrude and stuff. And But with our chaplain there, though, it 
really was incredible because they ended up, there was a chaplain's conference in Germany at Landstuhl. And so we basically had every army chaplain who was overseas was in Landstuhl at the time. And John was the only inpatient ICU patient at the time. And I was like, if this isn't a God thing, I don't know what it is because he is healing so well and there's no explanation for this. And he should not be doing the stuff he's doing. We're a week and a half after the explosion. And the only thing that we can describe it is, is one that I knew John better than anybody else. And I was like, thank goodness for those letters back in West Point days to where it forced us to write and say, what do you like? What color do you like? What type of person are you? What's your favorite food? That type of corny stuff where you're just trying to figure out who this person is. And I was just like, you know, I know what, I know everything about John. He may have been gone for the last four or the five years, but I still know him better than anybody else. And this is amazing. This, I guess, love that we have is so different than what anybody else has. And it's worth fighting for. And it's worth all this tiredness and stress. And of course, I relied on our friends and I said, hey, you know, what's something that John would like for this? Or I would call his sister or his mom and say, hey, you know, when John was little, what book did he like to read that I could read to him? Um, different things like that. Because I was like, you know, he he needs to remember voices and he needs to know, like, we're here for him. And this is the only thing I would want in recovery. And so the little things that we did, like going out and I'd go to the store and I'd be, oh, man, Ian would love this squishy ball or Ian would love this yo-yo thing. Um, maybe John would like it too. And he did. And it was incredible that I still like toys. Ian is so much like his dad that I was like, well, if I have to treat John like I treat Ian, like I'm going to do this. And thank goodness I know my son so well too. But the whole experience kind of turned into, Sam, you have to prove your love to your husband by showing him like, I know this much about you that I will do anything to make you better. We did that. And I told his parents that. And I said, I know John hasn't lived under your roof and 10 years or six years, seven years now. And I said, but I need your help. I, I didn't know John at this point of his life. So help me figure out that missing piece. And, you know, what jokes do you have? What could you talk about? And different things like that, where we would talk to him a lot during the day. And um, of course, by the end of the day, I think he was pretty exhausted, but they also told us, Hey, you got to get him on a night shift routine. We're like, but why do we get to do night shift? Because we're going to be going to Walter Reed. And um, like, it was an incredible experience. And it was, mm -hmm. it ended up being very hard to leave Germany um, because of the care that he had and the people who were there surrounded with us. And the army is such a small world of people that we had so many people who reached out to us and they said, Hey, Sam, I'm here in Germany. And I didn't know they were there to the point of, I went to the PX and I ran into a girl who was his classmate at West Point. And I was like, I haven't seen you since John's graduation. So she's like, well, would you mind if I came up and I saw him? And I said, well, yeah, you can come up. And so she came up and just different friends had reached out and said, hey, what can we do? Do you need anything? Can we send you anything? What can we do back home um, to where even our son was so take so well taken care of? I was like, you are so spoiled, boy. But he... <laughs> Everybody reached out and it became such an outreach that 
what I had posted on Facebook, the different miracles that had happened with John and things that were happening that had no explanation whatsoever, that they, they were like, hey, you know, we're kind of interested in your story. Like, what's going on? And how are these things being explained, even to the point of we had our friend who was in Texas on some insurance thing that she did. And it was a trip where she got on the bus and there was a guy on the bus who said, hey, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there was a soldier who was severely wounded and he needs our prayers. And she was like, I know this family. <laughs> How do you know about them? And so I mean, it was incredible to kind of be a witness to people when we were going through such a dark, dark time in our life that be able to reach out and say, hey, you guys, like, it doesn't matter how hard life gets. It doesn't matter what you face during the day. As long as you give God back the credit and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Just help me get through the next day. That became kind of our, our motto and just yeah. we got to make it through the next day. Of course, every day got better and we eventually made it to Walter Reed and John had multiple, multiple surgeries. And they had told us originally that John was supposed to be in the hospital for five years, which I thought, wow. five years? my son's going to be a teenager by then. Like we have to stay here. No way. 18 months later though. Well, it wasn't even 18 months because mm-hmm. April 1st. So the day that John had told me back in Syria Sam, I'm going to be home on April 1st. What a joke. <laughs> April 1st, he discharged from Walter Reed. And <laughs> I was like, this is insane. This is the, <laughs> the worst joke of my life. And <laughs> the jokes on me, this can be over with. But he discharged on April 1st. And we went to Richmond, uh, Virginia for a blind rehab. Long story short, it wasn't, but. Um, we went to a different hospital and he walked out of the hospital. Everybody was just like, John, this has been four months. You are not supposed to be doing this. She's she's always amazing. Everything people, people continually find strength through Samantha and what Samantha does. Cause they're just like, you deal with Turnbull. Oh, they're like, you're an angel. Of course, now 18, almost 20 months later now, John's back to work and he's fighting every day still. And of course, this has been the weirdest time, I think, too, for both of us, because we've never spent this much time together. So in a way, it's been... Except for another deployment. (laughs) It's been such a blessing, though, to have him home. We've been trying forever to have another child and... God answered our prayers. We're expecting, thank goodness, um, 25 weeks in now. And kind of scary. It's very scary. We're about ready to do another ah moment, but <laughs> we got this. And of course, Ian now, he's he's eight. And somehow we went from six to eight in such a short amount of time. But um, we're excited. He's going to be a big brother. And we get another little blessing and another little Johnny. <laughs> It's really exciting, though, and no, like public service announcement type deal. When listening to this, because you have some amazing followers and fans, if there's anybody who wants to know if there's something that they can do to help, uh, there there really is. Our sister for team sister, I'll go with um, Chief Farmer's widow Tabitha started a foundation called We Got This, 
Um, and it can be found at like, we got this now.org. And it's a foundation set up for the families that were impacted during the explosion uh, with the focus on the gold star children. So the children that have sacrificed so much, be it a father or their mother, many things, you know, it sets up, you know, this, these funds for helping them through things in life that they'll have to go through college or, uh, you know, just needs in life. But it also, by people giving, shows them that we care, that America thanks them for what they've gone through. You know, there's people that on that day woke up and they didn't have a really good friend to be like, hey, so-and-so's okay. You know, we'll get you to Germany and take care of it. They got the other word. Two guys showed up wearing a, you know, fancy uniforms. You know, we've cried and hugged and loved. And, and but it's if, bad because everything mm-hmm. that we've been through where we're like, man, this really sucks. There were days that we just, they were so long and so tiring. And we were just like, oh my goodness, if this could just all go away, that would be wonderful. Um, let's just go back to a normal life. There were so many days that we would get, John especially, would get really down in the dumps. And I mean, it's hard. I mean, he's blind. He can't see. He can't see his son. He still hasn't seen me. She'll always be 29 in my eyes. You know, <laughs> Those moments that we've had were, I mean, we've both been beat up and it's been so discouraging. There's been a lot of those days, but then we just sit back and think about like Tabitha and we think about um, Joe and Amina and Fran and um Scott's dad and I just think they don't they don't get to just pick up their phone call on the tough days and say hey hey John what do I do well, they what can do call I do me today? But... oh yeah they can call John anytime <laughs> but... of course they don't they it's almost like their deployment Murphy never got to go away it every day is a struggle for them and yeah. we're just like just but these are just four families and some people have been through it that these are just four families who are struggling and there are thousands and thousands of gold star families. And who, we love all of you. They want that. They wanted a different homecoming and they, they never got it. And it's not fair. It's hard. And it helps to know though, that there's other families out there who are going through bad things. And um, there's days where John and I were just like, this can't get any worse. And they do. And, but every day we pick ourselves up and we say, you know what? Today's a new day. We've got wonderful angels <laughs> surrounding us now who, I mean, Scotty and John and Gadir and Shannon, we think about them every single day. I don't think there's a day that we don't. I know that the reason that when John was having the bad days, they'd nudge him and be like, John, come on, you're better than this. You got this. Suck you, it up, dummy. Suck it up. Do it for my family. That's kind of our driving force is to do it for the families who didn't make it. To try to be an encouragement in some small way to just bring light to somebody else's darkness. Okay, so after I've cried 20 million times, <laughs> I know this story is going to touch so many people. And John, we're so, I, I remember my dad texted me. It was probably Uncle Mike texted my dad. It was probably about 30 minutes after you had called him. And I like left work. I was like, I, I don't know what's going on. So Sam, I want to thank you for, and I know the rest of my family is grateful that 
you went an extra mile and you kept everyone informed. You kept us all up to date on what was going on. We didn't have to go seeking it. <laughs> it was on Facebook. Um, it's bad because John hates Facebook. He's always hated social media. And he's like, don't put anything on there. And I was like, you know what? Our family is so big. I don't know how else to do this. And that was, I don't know, as much as there's days where everybody's like, oh, Facebook. I was like, that was a pretty incredible thing. <laughs> Without it, I couldn't have gotten the prayers that I asked for, and I couldn't have kept everybody updated. And I just thought, oh man, I couldn't imagine if this was John's first appointment. That would have been awful. <laughs> yeah, we. It's been a journey. I'm glad it's behind us. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. I I am one very grateful to see John's humor is still very much intact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a little too much. <laughs> right, I'm so yeah, grateful. Abner hit that goofy right. button a little too hard, but <laughs> I'm so grateful you're a part of the family, and grateful. Thank you for coming and talking he about chose it. Chose to be a part of it. That's what's weird. Yeah, it's he, really odd. We didn't <laughs> crystal. We have to keep it. I was like, <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> we are kind of fun. God bless you. We're we're oddballs that are fun to be around, and somehow right. it just there's a reason I say. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for coming on. Uh, if you want to go ahead, what was that? We got this now.org. Is really touched by the story and wants to do something. I mean, we brought up the foundation is really good, but also very strongly encourage everybody. Find uh, everybody knows one veteran out there that's little crazy because we're all crazy sit down and talk with them sit down and talk with his family um just being there for somebody to be able to hear them hear what they've gone through especially the family members because there's there's so many great programs out there for veterans but for family not so much what they're going through there's people there you know like you can lean on me on my shoulder just let it out that will I mean, you will save somebody's life by doing that. Um, we met so. a lot of veterans through all of this and and some of their families, of course, at Walter Reed. But the biggest outreach that we've said about like trying to be a light in somebody's darkness, that's kind of our driving force because we meet with these veterans and we meet with their families and the stories that they have are just so incredible that we're just like, man, we got a story, but it's nothing like that. And I mean, every story is different and you learn so much about somebody. A lot of the veterans are just looking for somebody to talk to because they didn't, they've never had that. Really an incredible thing, which at first you'd be, oh, well, this is kind of weird, but it is truly a humbling, humbling, humbling thing to do. The impact it makes on the other person is just fascinating because they're like, well, why do you want it? Why do you want to know what I've ever done? I've done nothing, but they have. And Every story is different and it is a friendship that you'll create with somebody that you'll be thankful for. Yep. And any veteran that's listening that needs help, that's in a dark place, dark time, don't, it's not weakness seeking help. It's actually strength. You're showing, you know, your ability to overcome, overachieve. Uh, you're not going to be underestimated. People aren't going to look down on you for seeking help. It's, I encourage you and if you're lower ranking than me, uh, I will order you to go and get help. And if anything else, take a knee, face out, drink some water, pull some security, because pretty soon we're going to move out and draw fire. 
So with that, I'll say this is Captain John Turnbull. I'll be signing off the net. If you need anything, you can find me, hit me up. I'm always available to chat. All I want to do is like highlight how amazing this woman is, Samantha. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Underestimated Stories for Women. If you enjoy my podcast, please follow me on iTunes, Spotify, or Clips so you can hear my next story. This podcast is sponsored by Clips. Discover podcast highlights of your favorite shows at www.clip.ps.